Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to the new edition of Insights. Um, this one's actually really exciting for me because I get to interview Phil Jones, um, who wrote the book, Exactly What to Say. What I loved about this is, especially for our sales team and our support teams globally, is it's not a sales motivation book. It's just teaching you how to engage and influence um, and persuade, and it's just everyone should read. I don't Actually, I'm going to take it back. It doesn't matter what you do in any organization. This book could really help you because it's how you put things in context. So before we jump in, Phil, like, what made you write it? What made me write this book? Um, I, I guess the biggest thing that made me write it is in my experience today of being an entrepreneur since I was 14 years of age and then having worked with literally thousands of professionals who find themselves toe-to-toe needing right. to influence people is albeit motivation, vigor, product knowledge, all those things right. are remarkably important. The biggest difference that I kept finding between people who did great and people who did okay was those that did great found the right words at the right time. They knew that. And much of my coaching work and my training work was helping people find the right, right. words. Kept seeing patterns and wanted to be able to distill it. And I've learned that some people are good at buying books, not too many good at reading them. So yep. I figured if I could put them into a short, succinct publication, I might be able to transfer some of that knowledge to others. I love that you said that. It's funny. Um, our global CEO once used a term when I was in a room, and he goes, words are important. So after you explained something, he, he really looked at the person and he was like, just remember, your words are important, and people forget that. You bet. So let me ask you, before I jump into my first question, Entrepreneur 14, what was your first business? I had a car washing business when I was 14, and by 15 was making more money than most of my school teachers. Wow. That's awesome. Second business? I then built maybe six or seven other small businesses around that through my teens. And then at 18, I got a proper job, huge jumped university, and um, found myself in a grad program for a big retailer in the UK at 18, leading teams. Did you always find that words were important? Um, yes, but I didn't know. Okay. I, I thought that being polite, being courteous, earning the right to be able to create a recommendation was important. I learned very early on in life that if you do not ask, you do not get. And perhaps one of the biggest reasons that almost everybody is failing to achieve what I know they're capable of is their failure to ask. And if I was to probably retitle the book to something that would have sold far less, I should have titled the book exactly how to ask. Um, and it's our ability to control conversations through questions right. that is the key. But I think people want to know what to say. Right. This fear of asking stands right. in the way of a lot of people achieving things. I think what ruins most salespeople, or not most salespeople, non-successful salespeople, people are really scared to ask for the business. Always. Yeah. Always. Which, which is mind-boggling to me. I'd rather, I'm a big believer, like starting a couple of companies, going out and raising money, I used to use the term, going, I'd prefer a swift no than a prolonged yes. Right. Just put me out of my misery, tell me you're not interested, and let's move on. I find it fascinating when people say, like, I lost the sale, or, right. or yeah. like, you lose your car keys. Right. Uh, and that's because you used to have your car keys. You don't sure. lose something you didn't have. I love that. All right, here's the first question. I love your idea that salespeople are professional mind maker uppers, <laughs> but we're all salespeople in life. How do you recommend people guide others to turn indecision into decision? Okay. Well, I think the enemy of, of yes is not no. The enemy of yes is maybe. Right. Indecision is the thing that stands in the way and stops people moving forward more often than not. One of the things that we can do often to better help people in the decision making process is to either show them something from a different point of view get them to see something for themselves or break a big decision into a series of small right. decisions. 
all three of those tactics sound remarkably simple, right. but they're harder to be able to implement in right. real life. And the, take the first one of, of getting somebody to see something from, from a different point of view. Right. Right? Like I got a notebook here right, right now, and if I hold this notebook up in front of you, what do you see? You see a notebook. Yep. What do I see? I, you know, I, I see a wooden pencil. Right. Who's right? The answer is that we're both right, right? right. And, and this is what often happens in a conversation. Right. A conversation becomes an argument. Right. When what we really should be doing is not saying I'm right and you should be right. saying you're right. We should be saying, actually, let's shift the vantage point of where we're looking at this from towards okay. something we're both collectively looking to achieve. I love that. Can you give me like, another example of that? Um, let's give a, a, another example. So give me a conflict scenario that shows up in your workplace and we'll, uh, we'll jam through that one. Um, so here's a conflict that would happen in, in our workplace. I do physical events. Yep. And, man, I know what's happening in the world. I should do it virtually. But, oh, my God, it's going to cannibalize our business. How do, I, how do you talk to someone and go, you should think that doing it virtually isn't going to cannibalize your audience. It's just going to expand your audience. I mean, well, what we have to prove then, which is often the thing you're looking to be able to get towards, is, is to prove a fact they hadn't yet considered. Right. So I might say something like, could it be possible that in the past, without having virtual programming, that there are some people who didn't see any of the events, some important people that didn't see any of the events? True. So what we're looking at is the fact that you didn't have any virtual program in the past, that you have actually minimized the exposure of the great content right. you're already invested in. So they see for themselves right. that actually it was an impact. Um, you know, would it be fair to say that there are some people that now might not come as opposed to? Right. And why would they choose to do that? Because now I don't have to hop on a plane. I can stay home. I don't have to miss my family. There's a thousand reasons. So it would be their preference. Yeah. And with it being their preference, would you rather deliver something to your employees, your team, your customer that was preferred to them? Or would you rather create something that was a bad experience? No, you want a good experience. So we've got an option that some new people could be able right. to see this that they couldn't have done otherwise. Right. We've got the chance that the people that would do this in preference are going to be happier. And also, how many of your existing audience participants will come to that event regardless of weather conditions, regardless of economic climate, and regardless of what's been happening with any medical scenarios? Very get few. Okay. But you'd still have enough to have an event. Right. Yeah, probably. Okay. So what we're learning through this is that both is better. Exactly. So explain to me again why you wouldn't run a virtual programming. I think I want to do a virtual program. And what I'm thinking right now, Phil, if this entrepreneur thing and this writing thing doesn't work out, <laughs> there is an opportunity as an SVP sales in our organization. I, I wanted to finish that example on purpose because the mistake that many people make is they ask one line of questioning, right. they get one line of response right. from it, and what they say is that is enough of the job, and then they right. lean into that. What you have to do if you want to get people to genuinely see it from a 360-degree point of view, you have to question someone right. that's all 360 degrees so they can box off all the angles. Right. And if we're in this area of professional mind making up, look at that thing that I did at the end. I threw right. down a challenge. And yep. the challenge was explain to me why you wouldn't, right. which you were then left with like, right. huh? And if we want to put a psychology or a strategy around this, I'm guessing that you, like many of uh, watching in right now, have seen the, the, uh, the movie with Eminem, the yep. 8-mile movie. Yep. That um, rap battle scene towards yep. the end of the movie, where he leaves the other person with nothing left to say and wins through right. default, that is a sales lesson. Right. And many of us should take that approach towards our conversations. I love that. And not look to embellish the option of yes, we right. should destroy the option of no. Right. I That's like what that. our question should lead and you're, to. You're engaging, you're, you're putting some of the onus on me as opposed to... People don't want to be sold to anyway. They want to be engaged. You're also assuming you might not be right. Right. And that curiosity that is fueling the conversation, yep. like I'm in this scenario you created, I'm 98.6% certain that virtual programming yep. is a good idea, yep. but I'm not 100%. Right. There might be a scenario that says, well, actually, nobody in my staff has access to a right. device. Right. 
there might be a, well, if people don't come to the event, then we won't run an event, right. therefore there is nothing to be able to broadcast virtually. Right. Right? There might be some of these things that could create a reason that this right. is a bad idea. You left We're the opening. For them. I love that. All right, I want to jump into the next question. Um, negotiation is another area that I believe people have a tough time mastering, and that keeps, from, keeps a lot of them from getting what they really want. What words can I use to negotiate, help people negotiate more successfully? It's a giant question. Um, I, I mean, the whole book is an example of words that would allow people to be able to negotiate. Well, actually, before you jump, this is the crazy part. I was telling Phil this before. I started reading the book, and by the time I got to um, page 30, I already rabbit-eared like 12 pages, 13 pages. So you write the whole book, and I'm keep on going, like, oh, my God, this yeah. works, this works. If we're to try and... Um put an answer around that question, I think it's a belief system more so than getting to the right. words. And then the book is full of precise sets of words you can use, but really each set of words talks towards an underlying yep. principle. And it's the ability to execute that principle that gets the results. The principle I think the book encapsulates as a whole is that prescription before diagnosis is malpractice. So we put it into that medical yep. concept. If you walked into a doctor's surgery, said, take these pills, they're brilliant. You'd right. be like, why? Right. Whereas if they explain to you after asking some questions, right. running some symptoms and some tests, these are the pills for you, right. you're like, okay, boss. Right? That's what happens. So, so negotiation comes from your ability to earn the right to recommend. I think that's what selling is, is earning yep. the right to be able to make a recommendation. If you're looking for the right words, anytime you're going to recommend anybody anything, yep. what you should look to be able to say is because of the fact that you said. Because of the fact that you said blank, blank, and blank, it's for those reasons what we'd recommend is blank, blank, and blank. That's what we should be looking to be able to say is because of the fact that you said. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, I mean, it gets, even when I'm doing an interview, it makes me think of situations I've been in. Right, so another area that I love that you talk about is, and I talk to my team about it, how do I drain negativity out of my organization? Right. People seem, I, I'm one of these people, I, my superpower is I have positivity. I'm, I yeah. always... I think that's what helped me most in my career. But I think in general, people come from a place of negative as opposed to positive. How do you change that? Okay. And again, we're talking about some absolutes, right? Yes. Is, is that something's either negative or it's positive. Right. I think what we're saying is how do we make something more positive yep. and, and less negative? And the thing that you always want to question is somebody is to move them to a position of doubt. So like we've seen it in various chapters of the business world, right? Is everything is awful. The yep. econo economy's in crisis. Right. Customers are not spending. Yep. And we make these absolute statements that are absolutely not true. So what we have to do is to question their truth. So you, know, you say that customers are not spending in this area. Right. Is that all customers or some customers? Well, it's some customers, obviously. Okay, right? so that would mean that some customers are spending. Yes, we, I assume so. And where are you spending the bulk of your time? Are you spending the bulk of your time with the people you know who aren't spending? Right. Or are you putting energy and effort into the opportunity? No, I'm trying to persuade the people who aren't spending, ah, which is okay. wrong, right? So. so what do you think your competition might be doing right now? They're spending their time with the people who are spending. Are they better than you or worse than you? No, no one's better than we are. Are you sure? Because their behavior right now would say they'd have a better line of thinking. Yeah, it kind of got me in a corner. Okay, so the good news is, is that we understand that right. there is a giant group of people over here that are probably not worthy of our effort right now. But the better news is... Right, there's opportunity. That what there is across yep. in this area of the world is there's stuff to be able to go out. And the technique we're talking about there is, is twofold. One is the ability to challenge somebody's existing right. point of view and help them realize that what they were thinking was wrong, but also allowing them to save face in that, not doubling down into that and saying you're bad for thinking that. Right. Bounce them. You've got to bounce them real quick. 
So let's accept new truth, bang, hit the wall, bounce in new direction, and then label new direction. Right. The good news is that we now know something that we didn't previously know. The better news is we now know to where to focus. And then what we can do is we can start to be able to take people into a new, more positive right. direction at any given point in time. And I think this labeling of the good news followed by the better news right. is a sequence of words that we can then rinse and repeat for a right. thousand different sets of circumstances. Like, how do you advise after someone reads a book or, or does, how do they exercise this? Okay. Because it's not like read it once and now I'm going to go into every meeting. Such like, a what? great question. And, and I get asked this question a lot. The worst thing about me putting this in a book is that it shouldn't really be a book. Right. Right. It's not I read that. Right. The majority of business books you read, you get through maybe 45,000 yep. words. Yep. You've got one to two key ideas. Yep. You've got a load of reinforcing principles that yep. help you understand what you could have understood yep. from the cover on the back cover. Yep. Right. Um, and that's a good thing because it's just re-sweating an idea. This is a book full of tools. Yep. And the only way you get to learn how to utilize tools is by utilizing tools. Right. So what I would say is, is read it and then take the surface level stuff right. that resonates to you. Go play with it in your home life. Right. See what you can do to get your spouse to take the trash out when they yep. didn't previously. See what you could do to be able to get the kids to tidy their room when they wouldn't previously. See what you can do to negotiate right. with somebody that you're looking to buy something from for some home repairs. Play in the, in the safe space. Then what I'd invite you to do is there are 23 sequences of words in that book. Yep. Now, that would mean that if you took one set of words a week, right. somewhere like six months in, right. you could have said, how do I use more of that principle in my life? And if you do this with a buddy, you do this with somebody else you right. work with, now what you can do is reinforce that right. over six months. And I know there's 26 weeks in six months, right. but we can't work everybody all the time. What I would do is in the second six months, I'd do the same again but see how far that what you've done is evolved. Right. And my goal is that I don't want anybody saying I'm using Phil's magic words. Right. I want somebody adopting this as just the right. way in which they communicate and forget right. that they got it from me. And that's how much they need to work it. I think two of the best magic words or easiest ones to practice are the just imagine. Yep. Right? Because I've started to use that since I read the book, just saying, because I know in my life when someone goes, hey, imagine if you could do this. Yes. The first thing my mind does is I imagine it. It's an easy thing. And it sort of breaks the tension in the room Correct. because you're not, I'm not forcing a thought on you. I'm just saying, imagine. And you might imagine and go, this is awful. I don't want to imagine right. that. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Or I might imagine. And the other one is, hey, how would you feel yeah. if I could do this? Right. And you go, hey, would that make your life easier? And no, it won't. So that's great. But at least you, you're putting the thought out there and it's easy to incorporate in anything we do. Psychologically, with those two examples of just imagine and how would yep. you feel if, what you're dealing with is you're dealing with this ability to people to explore possibilities in yep. a safe space of play. So the second I say just imagine, we're talking about a hypothetical set of circumstances. The second I make something hypothetical, right. what I can then do is bring that back into reality. We're all better at making decisions right. in an environment that isn't made up. Exactly. The second example of how would you feel if is based on the fact that almost every decision is made for emotive reasons yep. before logical ones, right? That typically kicks up too. So if you want to trigger an emotion, our standard challenge is that that emotion only comes into play after the fact. If right. I rephrase the words with how would you feel if I've created a conditional future right. feeling and a conditional right. future feeling means I get to feel a dose of the feeling I would feel after the thing without having done the thing, meaning I'm more likely to do the thing. So, all right. So if I was <laughs> even going to go a little deeper, your magic words really are things that are going to trigger my subconscious Correct. when we're talking to them. Correct. So it is really, there's an element of science to it. It's not a just, huge amount of science. it's not just the method and my style, which again, makes it more conversational as opposed to 
hey, I got 30 of these, you want to buy it. I love that it's triggering something. In what we're doing nature. is using existing pathways that right. are already there. Like, like people will use their GPS or Waze or something else to right. find the fastest route right. to get from A to B. All I'm using is pre-programmed systems that sit inside people's thought process for decision-making and taking path of least resistance. I love that. Right. We're going to go back to that. But I want to – so <laughs> the other one that's important because I'm a big believer of persuasion. And right. uh, I had Lee Carter who wrote a book about persuasion. Yeah. And it's a great book. It's a good book. When people think of influence or persuasion, some immediately associate the words with manipulation. Yeah. What do you see the difference between the three words are? Uh, okay, difference between the three words. I think – Firstly, you've got two words that sit in one camp and yep. one that sits completely foreign and different is we're all in the business of persuading and influencing yep. others to be able to do things all of the time. The thing that sits between persuasion and influence and manipulation is equality. Yep. And that quality is integrity. That's the missing word that sits between the two. And, and, and you know, Peter Parker once said that with great power comes great responsibility. And for those who don't know Peter Parker, we Spider -Man. Spider -Man. Yep. Um, the same is true when you have these kind of tools to your disposal, right? You can use them for good, you can use them for evil. Right. I cannot decide right. what somebody goes on to better do with this. Right. But if your work lacks integrity and you're not prepared to be able to wake up the next day and stand yep. by the decision that you help somebody make, that isn't the work that is in question. That is the integrity of the human that is in question. And that's where manipulation comes right. in. Fortunately, now we live in a world that's very different. And I'm going to jump towards something I don't normally talk to in interviews right. is... In the world of sales, the thing that gets celebrated is this hero moment, yep. this let's high five, we yep. took the money, let's yep. throw the ring 50s, the bell, yep. ring the bell, yep. cha-ching. And if you look at the movies that celebrate yep. this, in almost every example of a movie that celebrates that in, this in today's world, if they'd behave that way, within four weeks they would be out of business because yep. there was no integrity behind yep. the offer. They were selling fresh air. Yep. You know, sand to Arabs is something yep. that isn't going to be a viable Yep. business strategy. And this is what makes people hate salespeople. Yep. Yet in today's world, actually, if you have integrity in the work that you do and you're prepared to wake up and deal with the promise that exists yep. tomorrow, the month after, six months yep. after that, then guess what happens? You're in great shape. You build a great business because reputation matters yep. more today than ever before. And, and, and it's funny with this little book is if you know, we got nearly a thousand reviews on Amazon right. and some of them are one star. And when right. I got those originally, it hit hard, right? Yeah, hard. I know. Yeah. And then I learned that actually they were viewing it through the wrong lens. Right. They were thinking that this was a tool for manipulation. Right. And that was never in my mind for a single right. point. I just assumed that most people are good people. Um, and I think that when you work with good organizations, you have good yeah. products, where you have good team around you, and you genuinely care about the result of the result of the result that you're helping somebody else go on to achieve, these are tools that just help you get there faster. Right. But they it, won't it gets your message through. But they won't allow you to, to make a bad idea a good idea. Right. They won't allow you to be able to get somebody to buy the wrong thing and then be pleased right. about it tomorrow. Right. They'll just allow people to be able to see your value, right. choose you as opposed to somebody like you, right. and make a decision faster or stop procrastinating right. in a decision. And at the end of the day, people like to buy from people they like or can relate to. Or people are like to buy. Yes. Period. Right. It's As true. well, the, the rest of that true. statement is true. It's true. But we actually like spending money. Yep. We like making decisions. We feel empowered. That's like so spot on. Like it gets me keep on thinking. But I want to get to more questions. Go ahead. You make an interesting point about motivation. It's that people are motivated by either avoiding loss or acquiring potential gains. But we work harder to avoid loss. Why are we so afraid of loss? I I've found in my career 
every failure makes <laughs> me, it's not how hard you get hit, it's how hard you, how fast you get back up, right? Right. Why, why are we so motivated by failure? Um, I mean, put it this way, right? We are here in New York City right yep. now. I'm going to create a simple analogy is, is we are what, like on the third story right now yep. of this building, yep. is if this window across the way right here was wide open, yep. and what I could do is I could attach a steel braided wire here, yep and I could attach it to the building that is 150 yards away from here as well, and I could perfectly fix it here, and I yep. perfectly fix it across the way. We're only three stories high. I'm wondering if when we're done, how do you feel about running to the other side right. across the wire? My guess is you're like, no, thank nope. you, Bill. Yep. I'm like, what if I give you 10 bucks? You're like, it doesn't change a right. thing. I say, what if I give you 100? You're like, still, it's heck no, yep. right? I could go to 1,000. I could go to 50,000. I could keep raising the number. There might become a point. 50,000, I think we think about You'd it. You'd be yeah. like, yeah. is there a harness? What else right. is involved? Three floors. Am I just going to break a yeah. leg? Right, okay. Right. Now we're starting to think about yep. it. But I've got to reach a highest level of comfort to get you to do that. If what we have is the fire alarm goes off, there's smoke bellowing right. through this door out here, and the only way out through that window... I'm running. You're going yep. straight for it. And I don't know a clearer example of being right. able to say that we will always move when we're uncomfortable. Right. Yet when the gift or the prize is to be more comfortable, we ask more questions. Right. And this is just standard human behavior. Right. When you then look and say, how do I use that to get people right. to move, to create motivation, what we should really look to be able to do is to be able to lower the floor and raise the ceiling, is to right. do both. Is to say, if we do this, right. then here's the potential upshot. Right. If we don't do this, right. then here's the potential Risk and reward, right? Just weighing the risk and reward. But the mistake that most people make is they say, well, this is where you're at right now. If you choose us, this is how much better it will right. be. What they don't say is if you don't choose us, this is how much worse it could be too. And they don't create this need to move. And all that's meant by the word motivation is a reason to move. My viewpoint would be that if the reason was big enough, right. you can get just about anybody to do just about anything. It is just your ability to be able to find that reason. All right. So which leads me to the next part of that same type of question. Most people are just scared of rejection. Why are people so scared of, like I said before, I prefer when I go, if I was raising money for something, yeah. swift no over prolonged yet. Let me go on. Let me figure out who yeah. else can I get it from because I have enough confidence what I'm doing. Why is everyone so scared of rejection? Well, this fear of rejection thing is, is real, right? right? I hear it everywhere I go. I've trained over 2 million sales professionals. It's come up in every, every conference I've ever run is people have said the reason I don't ask is because I'm fear of, fearful of rejection. The only thing I get them to see is that firstly, have they been rejected by somebody they care about in the last right. seven days? Right. Maybe you said, let's go here for dinner right. and they said, no, thank yep. you. Maybe it was like, I wanted to go here on the next vacation yep. and they said, never. I don't, it could have been fun in the bedroom and they're like, right. not tonight, honey. Right. right? I don't care what it was. We face rejection in dozens of yep. areas of our life and yep. more often than not, we just accept it's part of life and we yep. keep moving on. Doesn't stop us asking for the things we want. Right. Yet in business, we become so fearful of it, we fail to ask. I ask people, are salespeople born or made? People right. try and convince me they're made, but my experience is every three-year-old is pretty good at asking for things. Yep. Like They're not worried about you saying no thank you. Nope. And what happens is they'll then do whatever it takes right. to get to a position of, of getting what they yeah. want. So life trains it out of you. Right. You start to learn things like it's rude to ask. Right. I want doesn't get. Right. That you start to be able to consider the yeah. manners and the courtesies around asking. Yeah even though that they are only partially yeah. true. I think it's even harder than that. I think it's beaten out of you yeah, along the way, right? It is. It's absolutely beaten. But rejection is, is part of the game. Right. I think we shouldn't be fearful of it. We should be accepting of the fact that it is. And people are allowed to say no. And when they say no, you have to program your little voice up right. here to say, when they're saying no, what they're actually saying is, no, thank you very much, not at this precise moment in time. Right. 
It doesn't mean that it's no forever. It doesn't mean that it's no personally aimed at you. It just means that either the timing wasn't right, right. which is more often than not actually the truth, right. timing was wrong, or it's just there isn't a fit at this moment. Right. And I think we should accept that. And the fear thing is, is true too, is that we do find ourselves fearful because people feel pressured by quotas and, and possibility is still quite comfortable. You know, if, yeah. I, if I've got a pipeline of right. 35 maybes right. that are worth $30,000 each, yep. my pipeline is circa a million dollars, right. and my quota is 350, right. I'm still feeling I got this. Right. The second that I find out some of those are no, it feels pressureful. And we're all happy to play in this space of possibility, only the braver right. to say I'm gonna work in, in what's really true. You ask a room full of professionals, who is going to be a successful multimillionaire entrepreneur in the next decade? Yep. Most of them are like me. Right. So they mean all of them. Yep. But only very few of them will go on to actually be able to achieve success in yep. leadership positions or through financial growth. And they're the ones who are prepared to be brave. Yep. My only confidence that I get from all of this is I don't wish everybody else was better or wish that everybody else was, was less fearful of rejection. Because right. if everybody else was better, it would be harder for me. Right. I just choose to be one of the few that's right. prepared to be able to say rejection is part of the game. Let's move through it. Let's move past it and know that a no is only a no, not today. It's true. I think it's what it's one of the things that's inbred in a, in a true entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. We know we're going to fail more than we're going to succeed, but we're going to get up and we're going to do it again. And I'd rather have the chance and be on the journey than not be on the journey. And I think you're really missing out on something if you don't put yourself out there. I mean, I could go back to like being in college and going into a bar and being scared to walk up to a girl, right? right. I mean... That's the worst at, at 20 or 19. The worst rejection in the world is someone saying, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to date you because you just feel miserable about yourself. But it's not as bad as you deciding that's the girl you want to date, right. not getting brave enough to be able to ask, right. telling everybody else that's the girl that you want to date, right. still not getting the courage to go and ask, building reputation right. towards this is going to be your girl one right. day, letting the sweat out over a three-year period of right. time in college, yep. finally getting the courage to be able to ask and finding out that she's engaged to somebody yeah. else. Right. Right. That Missed that a whole opportunity right. of mine. And you've now got the reputational issue of right. the fact Right. that you didn't find out right. for yourself. And I think you're going to take that through life. I mean, Every area of life. Right? It starts as a kid if you don't ask, and then as a teenager and a young adult if you don't ask, you can't say, oh, now that I have a sales job, that's going to be no problem to ask. You fall back into what All you want. All you have to do is to be prepared to deal with the consequences of them saying no. If you can look at that and say, well, what are the consequences of them saying no? What would I do instead? If you've looked at that and you stared the monster right. in the face and you're okay with it, right. asking becomes so much easier. Yeah. And still doesn't make it easy, right? You still should always have the butterfly if they say no, but you just, it's how you deal with it. Right. If you don't ask, you don't know. It's fascinating because I look at just like employees in, in our organization and go, it's amazing the ones who will ask <laughs> and how successful they are and the ones who don't want to ask, but you know they really want to ask and right. it's okay. It's, you know, ask. What's the worst someone's going to say is, it's no. I mean, it's... And no, not at this moment. Right. That's it's not, it's not permanent. No. Yeah. But that's the other thing. So, don't close the door because someone says no. Just understand that it's yeah. it's at the moment. All right, I got two more questions for you. Go ahead. I agree with um, that success in any aspect of your life cannot be achieved without support from others. How do we ask for that small favor of help to succeed? Okay. Well, there are a thousand ways, again, that you could ask for the yep. help from others. I think being brave enough to ask right. is, is probably the important thing. 
is from the book we give an example of where you can ask just about anybody just about anything and get a unanimous yes before they even know what that thing is you just positioned it back on me there and that was the request of a small favor yep the request of a small favor almost gets that conditional yes before your next ask it's a stepping stone before the island you know it's the bridge before you get to where you really want to be able to go to but now that they've said yes to that thing you're in great shape right the timing to ask is probably more important than anything is what we're looking for is a moment in our ask where the other person feels indebted to you. Okay. Moments where other people feel indebted are either when they express things like gratitude. So when they say things like, I'm really thankful for what you've just done, it's a great time to ask because they're feeling indebted. Or when they are perhaps even more clearly feeling indebted, where what they're saying is, you know, I'm sorry that we're in this situation. I'm sorry that I let you down. I'm sorry or anything that way around, is that that can become a great way to ask. But instead of the one punch ask, yeah. we have to tease our way towards that, which right. is, hey, look, is there a chance you could do me a small right. favor? And they'll I, say yes. I find that most people, if you, if you ask them the right way, everyone wants to mentor and help. In general, gen- generally, we all want to pay it forward in one way, but asking in the right way where it doesn't sound. Yeah. And, and the hardest thing about reading a, writing a small book like this is how much you leave out. Right. So I'll share something that's not in the book, and I think it's something that we can all learn from from this question here, which is that when you're asking somebody to be able to help you, the best thing for you to ask for is the one thing that everybody loves to give. And the one thing that everybody loves to give is their opinion. So when you're looking for the help and support of somebody else, ask for a small favor. They're going to say yes. Then you say, hey, I'd really love your opinion on something. Now, all of a sudden, you've whet their appetite, you've right. played towards their ego. Yep. What you've said when you ask for somebody's opinion is that you respect yep. them higher than you respect others in yep. this world. And therefore, you've created an internal desire in them to want to be able to lean in and want to be able to do more for you. So the yep. opinion question is one that's remarkable. Right. It works on me every single time. when someone. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's internally inside the organization or even on places like LinkedIn, how people approach you on LinkedIn and in-mail, inbound in-mail. <laughs> They're all trying to sell you, but if someone truly says, hey, I'm trying to break, do you have a piece of advice? If they ask it in the right way, your natural thing is, sure, let's talk. And let's unpack that as well, the difference between advice and opinion. See, the trouble when somebody asks you for advice is they're saying, what do you think I I should do? do, When I ask for opinion, Opinion, what I'm saying is, what would you You do do if you were in my shoes? And you're going to get a greater level of response yep. because now all of a sudden, when you ask for my opinion, I'm going to tell you what I would do as opposed I to. I can give it freely yeah. without consideration yeah. of your lens. Where you ask for advice, it's I'm a, a lot more responsible for what you then might go no. do with that. I, I like that. All right, all right. So before I get to my last question, what's your favorite word? <laughs> my favorite word? Um, I, I think it's probably become exactly through the years okay. because it's become you know, sequential through my brand with a series of books. Right. I, have a, I have a bourbon called Exactly What to Drink, and it, it shows up in, in dozens of social comments where right. people now struggle to use the word exactly without right. it lying, lying back to me. I'm trying to find a way of taxing it, right. maybe like a cent, More. Oh, cent that on the dollar or every I time love that. somebody uses the word exactly it. that it pays royalty back towards me. So that has become my favorite word. Um, and, and through living with it for so long, right. I think it's been a fun thing. All right, you're a new father. You have um, one-year-old twins. Favorite part about being a dad? Favorite part about being a dad is having a reason to work that is beyond anything I ever understood in the Yeah, I get that. And unconditional love. Let me ask a question. With the book, mm-hmm. is there any tactics in the book that you use on your twins? 
Not yet. Okay. Not yet, but there maybe are a few that I use on my wife or yep. on family that are around that. And, and the worst thing about writing a book called Exactly What to Say is how it impacts on your personal life. It's right. like you have to be all bets are off most That's of the right. Time. Exactly. All right. <laughs> What's your Uber rating off the top of your head? Oh, I'm 4.76. Okay. I'm a 4.68. Okay. So you know what? Winning. It's funny about that. I, I've asked a couple of people this. Um, I think it's a new interview question that I ask people <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm hiring people because it's a way to judge like if you're a four four or three nine, like why? What's wrong? Right? With you, What's right? wrong with you? You know? So that and asking people what their FICA score score is would be an interesting thing. Like, yeah. why do you have good credit or or not good credit? My last question would, for you is, who would you say are some influencers that are really good out there? Who are influencers that are really good? Um, narrow the question for me a little. Um, who's a master influencer? Are there people that you see, I don't know if it, it, could, it could be uh, an actor, an activist, a politician, it could be a business leader that's really good at getting their message out and influencing others? I think there are, there are so many to be able to lean into, to be able to choose from, is, is whether you agree or disagree with any of their political persuasion, yep. the current president of the United States of America is a master influencer. Yeah. Um, whether I like that fact or not is yeah. different. You, you are looking at, at people that I think Oprah is without question somebody that has learned to be able to influence with integrity yep. over a sustained period of time and I can, I can stand up and have adoration yep. towards that. I think we look at people who have influenced the nation's thought process around the restaurant industry, yep. the food, people like Gordon yep. Ramsay and yep. Jamie Oliver from my country yep. have looked to be able to influence into the, into the schooling system, etc. Huge adoration towards yep. those people. I think Michelle Obama is an incredible influencer who's taken a position that could have been one that is, is one that was a back yep. seat and turned it into a front seat position of influence and again has done it with integrity. Is is the list is huge and then some of the ones that are the most masterful are the ones that nobody sees they're the right. ones that exist in the background in the shadows and i think for many if you were to look at perhaps even the most influential people in your world it was probably your grandma right or auntie jean yep or uncle jimmy yep. right somebody that just had the ability to keep everything together and get everybody then refocused on what really mattered at any given point in time yep. And those are probably the little heroes that don't get the spotlight more off, uh, as often as they should, but the ones that are probably changing the shape of the world more than the ones I, that are in the I, spotlight. I, I agree 100%. That is awesome to think about that as, as an influencer. When you're watching someone give a speech, yeah. or even watching TV, do you think about the words they're saying? Of course. Are you, are you Sometimes you look at people and go, ah, he gets it, or maybe he read my book, or... I, I, I can't stop but look right. at this stuff. Is I have an obsession that is definitely unhealthy about right. this fact. And let's take the speech one, and I'm going to yep. give you all something that you're going to see this and you can't unsee it. Something that almost every speaker does in the, in, in the world is when they're looking for audience participation, they will raise their hand and they will say, how many of you, when they're looking to be able to create some inclusion? Now, the trouble when you ask a how many of you question is you've just asked everybody to look at everybody else. Right as opposed for them to be able to engage personally. The reframing of that question to who in this audience, right. now all of a sudden this is a keeping everybody plugged in right. here as opposed to inviting everybody out in there. So just one tiny example, but I see thousands of them. So it's little nuances. Mm -hmm. This is great. I'm going to look at things differently. Phil, this was incredible. <laughs> this was like so much fun. It flew by. 
Um, I can't wait to share your book with all of our employees. And Pleasure. Have, have a great day, and congratulations on fatherhood. Thank you, thank you.